What is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Guadagni Vision, the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguayan football in English. As always, I'm Roberto Rojas, and joining you are my two great co-hosts, Federico Perez and Ralph Hanna. And guys, heading into August already, obviously, we're right into deep of the um, of the Clausura competitions. Obviously, what's been going on in Paraguay domestically uh, is obviously of, of interest that we're going to talk about today. Obviously, we speak as the European seasons are about to begin or have begun, actually, depending on what league and country we are. Obviously, we see some players that are obviously getting their minutes over there in the top five leagues in Europe. Some of them also getting some goals in MLS and obviously something in Mexico as well. Copa Libertadores, we got some Paraguayans playing there as well that we're definitely going to be expected on and talking about hopefully very, very soon. Um, you know, looking into, I guess, sticking into Europe, we did see one little transfer be made uh, a couple of days ago, guys, with a young kid in Hugo Cuenca leaving Deportivo Capietat, heading to Milan, the 16-year-old defender playing over there uh, for the Rosanetti, going to be on the academy team and obviously um, will train with the first team as well. But it's it's very interesting to see what these guys are going to do. So we can definitely talk about that as well. But let's get in, into this discussion. Let me get my co-host in here. Let me get to let me go to Ralph first, because, you know, you'd posted a video the other day about how maybe one certain politician might have a chance to play for for the Premier League champions, Man City. I mean, I, I, from what I've heard, I mean, I think they're stacked at right wing. That's kind of been my big issue. So I don't know if he'll have the the opportunity to play uh, for Pep Guardiola from from what I've heard. Well, he doesn't think that either because that was uh, Nicanor said he said something like, "There's as much chance of it happening as me playing for Man City." If he if he was a left back, he'd, he'd have a shout, but. <laughs> But otherwise, I don't think he's he's getting in there. Yeah, yeah, I'm good, um, Roberto. Like, happy to see the league starting. Um, like everybody, kind of bummed that Julio and Cesar didn't travel to Old Trafford, but uh, he was at Selhurst Park last night, as we record, playing for the the academy. And, and I know a couple of guys went down there, like from from our friendship group, a Paraguayan in London. And um, so that was that was cool that, that he's at least got some minutes under his belt and, and we'll see what happens to him. And then, yeah, I mean, we're kind of warming up for the Super Clásico. is always the big game on the calendar that, that everyone looks forward to. And we've got, uh, I would say, I don't know, both, both teams, both managers, maybe under a little bit of pressure, which we might be talking about. So I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting matchup this Sunday in in the Manuel Ferreira because they're playing it at Olympia's ground, which is which is quite quite rare that they take it there and not to Defensores del Chaco. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and you know, Fede going into you on this one, I think, you know, obviously it's kind of yin and yang for both uh, Cedro and, and Olympia. We'll talk about Cedro in a minute, but obviously what happened with Olympia was actually some big news that they were able to get some money to help, you know, obviously refinance the transfer of, or at least the debt of, that was needed to be paid to Dinamo Kiev for Delis Gonzalez with a little bit of help from the Commonwealth president, Alejandro Dominguez. So from an Olympia standpoint, I think obviously these big news comes at a right time and maybe, maybe serves as kind of motivation heading into this Super Classico. Yeah, first of all, hi, Roberto. Hi, Ralph. Hi to everybody listening to What I Need Vision, like always. Yeah, all the way from Paraguay this winter, waiting for a new Super Classico. And yeah, Olivia had some good news these last couple of days. Actually, 
you know, the last two games for Olympia were pretty well after losing to Taquari. They, they, they got a couple of wins, a couple of big wins, actually, uh, winning Copa Paraguay and then uh, also winning in the local league against Ameliano. So it's been pretty good news. And especially this the situation that has been a problem during the whole year. You know, they have so many deaths. They owe so much money and they also have sanctions even from from FIFA, and apparently this is coming to an end, or at least one of those big cases that Olivia was was waiting on, which was Deadly's Gonzalez. This the situation from what 2005, maybe even. I mean, they've been on to it for a while, and uh, finally the Ukrainians have well have have taken the pressure off. Uh, apparently, there's there's been a there's been an agreement to the new payments, the new way that Olivia wants to pay. Uh, the Ukrainians had wanted nothing to do with with Olympia and the and and the way that they wanted to pay before, and that's why uh, Alejandro Dominguez, the, the Comebol president, had to come in this situation and had a couple of meetings, had a couple of chats with the Dinamo Kiev people, and and, and he was important. He he was vital. Uh, I understand that you know people uh, it, it would catch people's attention, but you know he was a he was. Uh, a very important person back in the day in Olympia, and he's always there with the new president also. And there's a good relationship between him and the Dominguez family, which is a very traditional family also for Olympia. His dad was, uh, his dad's birthday was just last week. His his dad was the biggest president in Olympia's history. So, you know, there is that story when, uh, when it gets time for Olympia, the Dominguez family is always there, Roberto. But that's just one of the many topics we got to talk about in this uh, Libertadores, uh, what I'm going to talk about, super classical uh, preview. Libertadores, they play back in Libertadores, and Ralph said they're going to play in Tigo Manuel Ferreira. Uh, actually, Olimpia played in those games in Libertadores in Defensores de Chaco, so it is going to change up for this clausura just because I don't think they can fill up the Defensores right now. Absolutely. It'll be the fourth encounter, actually, between these two sides, which, you know, is it doesn't happen as much uh, during the year. Obviously, we see a home and away fixture happen, obviously do it in the Libertadores. So now they do it again in the Clausura. And obviously, all the attention is going into that game, guys. Sorry, fifth time, actually. Uh, forget me. Uh, two times they played in the Apertura and then twice in the Libertadores. So the fifth time in 2022. So obviously, a lot of pressure and expectation given to that. But we have to go straight into the team that has kind of been feeling a bit lackluster lately. And that's Cerro Porteño. Obviously, despite leading the league currently in the Clausura, they're coming off a embarrassing elimination from second division side Rubio Nu, losing 1-0 in the Copa Paraguay, a tournament that, you know, obviously we spoke about and how we kind of feared as if, though, maybe some of these teams aren't giving that much importance, uh, depending on what part of... Um, how you view success in uh, a particular season and they fell flat on their face on this one. And then only three days later to take on Nacional and draw nil nil. Um, you know, Ralph, I'll go to you on this one because it, it really is interesting to see uh, the set of Ordeño's side and, and kind of the, the expectation that we always talk about. I mean, obviously this is a side that on its day has to compete to win the domestic titles, to win a, a league title or, you know, a Copa Paraguay. And they haven't done so in the domestic perspective, domestic cup, I should say. But, you know, I, I don't know if we can really see a crisis being made as of yet. Mini crisis. Yes, absolutely. But I have already seen some overreaction on social media from the press. You know, so many people are already talking about how Chigashi should go and that they should start moving forward. 
at this stage, no, I don't think it's possible for him to leave. But, you know, maybe heading in 2023, yes, maybe they could start thinking about something. But honestly, and, and Fede, you can jump in on this one as well. I, I just I don't see if there was anyone better aside maybe from one or two names in Paraguayan football or even at all that can can really go in and, and take his job as a setter boss. Yeah, I think that's one one of the points is who could do do any better. But I think going back to some of your first point was it, it's not really that bad. It's not really such a crisis. It's just got a bit it's got a bit stale. It reminds me a lot of Arsenal in the later years under Arsene Wenger, right? When they weren't doing particularly badly, but it just felt it just felt that nothing was going to happen, right? That that you needed some kind of change. And I think part of the problem with Cerro is they've been so good defensively, but they haven't been very exciting going forward. And so even when they are winning, like they won their opening four games of the league season, you didn't really feel blown away by this side because they were just kind of grinding out the results and, and doing just enough. They, they really they don't really have a goal scorer at the moment because uh, 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 Martins Moreno isn't scoring the goals they wanted. Samudio came in and scored twice, but now he hasn't done anything since. And, and so they don't have that, really that excitement around the team, you know. And, and so when things start going badly like this, like they lost to Rubio New, uh, Chiquiasi made 11 changes for the game against Nacional. This is to say, right, this is, forget about that. And then they drew nil-nil against 10 men. So even with those 11 changes, nothing happened. Then I think, yeah, people are getting maybe a bit, a bit impatient. And, and there's just that feeling that, that it's gone a bit stale. And then, yeah, to your second point, just to develop on that about is there anybody better? I mean, there really isn't. I don't think it's uh, unless they go and get Carnero, right, at Libertad. But you look at, I mean, Juvero has he's been at Cerro before. Um, people like Gustavo Florentino, who went away, he's actually come back and he's come back to General, General Caballero. Um, who's won the league with him, Tiburon Torres, but he's at Resistencia. I don't think any of these people would be the, the coaches to take it to another level. So then you will have to look abroad. And I think looking abroad, as, as we've always seen, or as Paraguayan, manage, uh, Paraguayan owners have always seen, it, it's a bit of a risk, right? You might get someone in that's willing to stay and, and see it out for a year or, or 18 months, or you get people that come in, take some money and go. I was just worried before we got on recording, I was watching um, Nacional lose to Goyanense with Luis Suarez on the bench, and who is the manager of Nacional? It's Repeto, right? Uh, Pablo Repeto came in and with Olympia and was a disaster. And that was an example of trying to bring in a foreign coach with a reputation and they can't do anything. So, yeah, I think, I, I mean, looking at Cerro, I think they're, they're looking good in terms of they're, they're strong enough to see out this season and possibly win the league. And almost definitely qualify for Libertadores. So again, I don't think it's too much like panic stations just yet. The the talk maybe comes next year of if we want to really go for Libertadores, do we have someone that's maybe more proven in, in cup competitions? It's a very interesting topic. Um, I, I don't like it that Roberto is the one bringing it, bringing it up. And I didn't th- I didn't think that was gonna be the main topic in the Super Classico, just because you know they, I mean, Cerro Porteño signed with their coach at the beginning of the year, one of the longest contracts I've ever seen 
a coach signed here in Paraguay. I, I think he has a contract up to like 2025 or something like that. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think it's even on the table the discussion. I mean, why would you sign a coach for for so many years if you're gonna take him out after the first failures? Um, you know, obviously from the board, he's they're gonna have to show that support. They're gonna have to show that backup when the team has uh, problems, when the team can't get the results, but. I don't get the drama really because they're on the first place. They 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 had a really good opportunity, but there is uh, stuff on their shoulders. I mean, this team lost really bad to Palmeiras. Uh, fans do not get over that very easily. It was not the first time that Arce uh, did not do well in the international stage and. Yeah, you have to locally, but that's all you have left now because Copa Paraguay, you played one game and it was over for you against Rubio and you. And when you had to show your your alternative squad, where you had to show uh, the young players, they were they didn't really show up. And Rubio and you really earned that one. And just it was just a one zero, but you didn't see much out of Cerro. You didn't see much out of that out of that team that supposedly is waiting there for, for the young players to come in and, and take the spotlight. And that was kind of worrisome for in, in my in my way of seeing it, just because Chiqui Arce is not just uh, on uh, the first uh, team, Roberto. He, he has responsibility, obviously, uh, uh, with what happens on the youth leagues also. And just to see that team, just to see that that's what is behind the first team, I was kind of worried about that because that's supposed to be the future of Cerro Porteño, not just uh, a, a team that's trying to get to the final stages of Copa Paraguay, where uh, I believe Cerro had the obligation to make it at least to the semifinals, especially seeing that bracket where, where Cerro Porteño pretty much had it. So you, you have those big failures on one side and you have a coach that has his towel, but but he, yeah, he, he hasn't been able to get the best out of his players lately. And I don't think he's he's pick he's picking out well either. So yeah, he needs to do a better job in these very important games that are coming up, especially because you're seeing Libertad picking it up again. And it does look right now that it is again between Libertad and Cerro Porteño, unless somebody can get into the discussion. That somebody could be Olivia. They uh, win this big game, also, Roberto. Yeah, and and I think you know heading into that and previewing the Super Clasico, obviously. I think, you know, from my perspective, and I would like to hear your thoughts, I think, you know, Olympia have every right to feel a bit motivated. You know, obviously, I think obviously the last time that they played each other, Olympia did beat them. You know, one of the rare times, and then Ralph actually pointed this out in the stat, one of the rare times that Cedro have actually lost at home in, in recent memory. So, you know, Olympia, I have every right to feel motivated. They've done it in the Super Classico, in the opportunity. They've done it in the Libertadores. They were able to get some kind of historical bragging rights, at least for this year. So, Fede, I mean, and and, and on top of the news that has been going on from obviously this whole situation with Derlis and how their form is a bit different in comparison to, to Cedro, let's, let's be real, Olympia is still in the Copa Paraguay. They could still win a title. Olympia are in the driver's seat, actually, to really get their season back on track if they're able to get a win at home this weekend. Yeah, and they really need it also. I think just as Cerro Porteño, they have the obligation to win this clausura to, to try to make it straight to the to the Libertadores stage group next year. And yeah, they're going to feel that pressure, I believe, in this game uh, to be the team that looks for for the win. But hey, maybe a draw isn't that bad for Olympia. Just seeing uh, the standings right now, 
just seeing that you're gonna face up against a tough opponent. I I I, I want to see how the match goes, but yeah, you're gonna have fans by your side. I, I've seen uh, Olympia's numbers lately playing at home. They've become a better team. They they've looked better at home, and I I also think that that was. Uh, uh, that was taken into consideration when they thought, you know, between the, the head coach and the president, where are we going to play this game? Are we going to play in the Defensor de Chaco? Maybe even take it to Ciudad del Este where, where, where teams are taking games again. But no, no, they, uh, they wanted to play it at home. And, and just because they can still catch up, they, they can still do, they, they can still make a run for it here in this uh, apertura, even though they lost a couple of games. Uh, I think this Olympia side has everything to grow, especially because you're seeing that players are coming back. Uh, Marcos Gomez is getting his spot back in the midfield. He had, uh, Julio Cáceres has a couple of doubts in defense, but hey, he has, he's he's had these doubts pretty much all the season. So that's always the big depth in Olympia, just seeing a, a better team in defense. And in in offense, right now you have two players. You have Guillermo Paiva and you have Brian Montenegro coming in pretty much in every game and scoring or making it happen, making a big play. Delis Gonzalez is the big star in this team, and he's he's healthy. He's been playing lately. He's been scoring. Alex Silva also. So Olympia is ready for the challenge, I believe, Roberto. It is coming in the right moment in this clausura, and Cerro has yet to lost a game. So, yeah, all the motivation, I believe, is on Olympia's side, especially because they're going to play with their fans by their side. Yeah, they actually had, they used to be on a really bad run in the Manuel Ferreira. They they kept losing games. I think at one point they had lost seven in a row or something. But for whatever he's done, Julio Cesar Caceres has turned that right around. They've actually won their last eight. So they're on a really good winning run. Um, the last, like technically the last home game they lost in the league was to Cerro, but that was in the Defensores del Chaco. So they, they're on a really good run at home in the stadium. And it's quite an interesting contrast, right? Because I, I was saying before, Cerro has a very good defense. When, when Pulpito Duarte and Patino play together and, and Jean in goal, it's really only Libertad that have, have ever shown them much, much kind of problems in, in league games. Of course, they've had the, the occasional surprise defeat, but really it's, it's, they look very comfortable. And then in Copa Libertadores, we know it's a different thing. You know, they've struggled against Brazilian sides. Olympia, uh, a bit of a mess defensively. And I thought it was very interesting that against Emiliano, Luis Sarate had come back from suspension and he didn't get into the first team, which I was kind of surprised about because they haven't been defending very well in Gamarra and Salcedo together. But they did end up keeping their clean sheet. But what Olympia's strength is, is, is going forward. Like, like Fede was saying, you have, you have Delis Gonzalez, who's one of the best players in this, in this league going forward. And probably he's only in the league because of what we were mentioning in the intro about the, the debt with, with Dynamo Kiev and things that he feels it kind of has to be there. Um, but, but so they have all these attacking players and creative players because of Montenegro, Paiva, Santi Vera. Um, but they're not very good defensively. And then you have a Cerro that's very strong defensively, but going forward, they haven't clicked really at, at any point, I think. We, we rarely see Cerro with this really free-flowing football. It's, it's often very patient and slow and, and purposeful, but it's not like really expansive and exciting and free-flowing. So it's going to be a really good contrast to see which wins out, right? Does Cerro's defense win out or does Olympia's attack and... Vice versa, does, does Cerro's kind of 
not so good attack against Olympia's not so good defense, like which what tips the balance. So it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting matchup, I think, from that side of things. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that there are a lot of really duels that need to be played in. And obviously, I think uh, for both these teams, they kind of look at this as kind of the match that kind of you know, I don't want to say too early on, but they could define their season. I mean, fairly, I mean, this this is the one that, you know, it doesn't matter where you are on the table, how bad or how good your 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 season is or the club is, you don't want to lose this game. You don't want to lose a Super Classico. No, obviously there's so much behind it. And even though there is still another Super Classico is left in this year, at least. And you, you said, I think it's like the fifth one in this year. They oh, yeah. had so many... But it, since it's so important for these two clubs to try to uh, get the the clausura, these three points go like like it is a big thing. So uh, I I think it is gonna have that excitement behind it, uh, and it is totally different the atmosphere also of playing in Defensor as a Chaco than playing in Tigo Manuel Ferreira. The fans are closer. The fans are closer to the action. They're gonna be on top of every game. Yeah, even the bench feels the pressure. You know, uh, Ralph has been there. A couple of times. I don't know if Roberto has been to the Tigo Manuel Ferreira. I know he's been to the Nueva yeah, Ola. I, I have been to the. I've, I don't know I've why he to. makes that difference when he's <laughs> here in Asunción, but he but he does that. And and I think it's gonna be totally. Uh, it's gonna be a great, exciting game, especially uh, like just like you said. There's a lot of players that can stand out. But, you know, the managers also, I mean, Julio Castles, he's been there for a while now in Olympia. So he's kind of gotten the hang of, of, of playing against Chiquiasa. In, in those first Super Classicals, I, 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 would, I would always say, you know, that tactical battle between the coaches. I, I always saw Chiquiasa get, getting the first hand and, and putting a better team on, on the field. But lately, I felt that, you know, Julio Castles' strategy in the Super Classico has gotten better. And uh, he's, he, his players are looking really well right now. And just several uh, have so many doubts, so many problems in the locker room, even players discussing between between each other just because they can't get uh, the, the best the best out there. So the, so it, it could be uh, if, if I look at who if, if, if one of these two teams loses, who's going to lose the most the most? I think Cerro Porteño. Uh, I think if Cerro loses this game, I mean that locker room is gonna uh, is gonna be on top of the coach also, and the fans are gonna be on top of this story, and it's not gonna be easy for them. Even though they're still gonna be in that first part, I think that even if they lose, they're still gonna be in that first part, or or, or they could lose it in this week, Roberto. No, they're still gonna be there. No, no, they they would still be there because uh, there's still a, a significant point difference uh, with Nacional. So it yeah, it's gonna be a good change if they lose it. Oh well, then that, that makes it even bigger of a um, of an obligation for them. And and further from what I'm assuming, and you know, I don't want to get into. Actually, you know what? I will get into predictions. Why not? Let's let's do it. Super classical. You're leading into an Olympia win, aren't you? Or how are you feeling about this one? Well, I was with Olympia at the beginning of this tournament. So yeah, in these in these big games, I am going to stick with Julio Casares, even though he. He really had a lot of doubts at the beginning of the tournament, especially with this situation with the young players and trying to to get them to behave their their personal life to keep it off the social media. You know, there was trouble with that situation in the locker room, but apparently players are uh, are behaving again. And after seeing you know them uh, have, having such a bad game against Taquiri in that meltdown in those last minutes. 
Um, I think they really bounced from it these last two games, and this is the this is the game for them right now. And I think Olympia is made for these big games this year. They've done well in these kind of games and these kind of stages. And and I, I did not like what I saw from Cerro Porteño last weekend around. I had it, I had them right in front of me in that Nacional in that second half. They did not know how to how to resolve the problem. They had that puzzle that was Nacional that played a really well game. And watch out for Nacional also. I, I really like what I've seen out of them in this tournament. And, you know, they're that third, fourth team that's just waiting for Libertad and Cerro Porteño have a, a bad tournament and, and try to get in there also in the fight. But, uh, yeah, if I have to predict in one of these two teams in the Super Classic while making it too long, I'm going for a lead. Now, interesting. Fight just to go. As, as, as any tight Super Classico may be, always ones with little goals. Ralph, how are you siding on this one? Are you going for the host or, you know, giving a little bit of hope for the team from Barrio Vero? Well, I'm, I'm looking at it, and, I mean, it, it, Julio Cesar Castro has always got it right. I mean, he came in for the Supercopa. They won that. Uh, they won in the, the La Nueva Oya the first time that they'd won there. And then, okay, they they did lose the 4-0 to Cerro in the in the league, but that was a strange game because it came three days before they're playing the Copa Libertadores, and at that point, the Copa Libertadores game was more important. And then they won the Copa Libertadores game that they needed to. So what you can see is, I mean, Olympia have grounded out when they have to in these games. And so I think I'm going to side with Fede on this one that is, is looking, the momentum shift is is in Olympia's favor. If this game if this game had come two games ago, I would have said Cerro. But I think with the momentum shifting, it is looking like an Olympia win. And also for Cerro, I mean, it just gets worse, by the way. I was looking in their fixtures. After this, they have Guarani. Then they get General Caballero, but then they get Libertad. So they've got the next four games. Three of them are really big matches. And it's, it's going to look difficult for them all. We'll have to see where they stand, you know, four games from now. But I think... For the prediction, yeah, Olympia won zero, which has happened. Well, yeah, that's what happened last time. They won one zero in the Libertadores. I think it's going to be a tight affair, and I think I'm going to have to side with agreement. I just I don't feel confident in the Cerro side. I look at the recent form. You know, it, it, yes, they have what conceded one goal this entire um, campaign in the Clausura, and they scored seven. But still, it just you see the side grinding out results, like you guys had mentioned. Julio Cesar Casas seems to be getting the better of of Chiqui Arcet of this year. Playing at home in front of that crowd, yes, but I've been into that. I've been to the Barauna before. It, it, they, they, those, those fans really are on you. So, you know, it, it really will be a a, a big crowd and, and and kind of a rowdy one that that I think so. So, yeah, I think all the factors that go into this are siding for Olympia. So I'm gonna go for an Olympia win in this one, one zero. And boy, I mean, guys, if that were to happen, then we have a you know, Feta, you were talking about how. Libertad and Cerro seems to be the only teams that are, are starting to to get into that conversation of who could realistically win the, the league title. But, you know, Nacional are right there banging on the door. And if Olympia get this win, they're in that title race, too. I, I got to imagine, don't you think? 
Yeah, especially it's gonna be that booster that that locker room is gonna need, right? After that, every every match is gonna be probably with way more fans on the stands, and people are really gonna be after the campaign. Or it could be totally over for Olympia, even for the for the long term. I mean, you were you were talking to us before the the show started. You know, the the numbers of, for the year, especially to qualify for the Libertadores, in, in the case that Cerro Porteño does not win or the, the second tournament, or it either does Olympia. Right now, it's Libertad, uh, the, the only team that has qualified to the group stage of, of Libertadores for next year. So it, it could be over for, for Olympia also in that sense, because uh, Cerro Porteño made a whole bunch of points, way more than Olympia already in the Apertura. So there's a big difference there also, where Olympia has to be careful, because it could be uh, a very big gap if, if, if if Cerro Porteño wins this one. Uh, I, I'm liking what, what I'm seeing from Julio Cáceres lately. I think he's got that locker room behind him again uh, after some doubts, after he, I, I thought that he, he could even lose the job. Uh, but this is what Olympia has right now. I mean, you're not going to see a, a very exciting team. He said it several times. We don't have uh, players to, to get out there and be the best team in the Paraguayan League. We're doing what we can with what we have. But, uh, you know, these players that came in in the second part of the, of the year have been very important. Hugo Fernandez, Brian. Uh, Brian has also scored a couple of important goals so far. So you, I think these players are coming in hot and they're going to probably get Fernando Cardoso back in, in that left midfield. Uh, unless we see Bruno Recalde again, who has been the, the under-19 lately. He's played a lot these last couple of games, and he's kind of surprised me also. Uh, this is a very exciting kid. He's only 18. He could be one of those new players to play in Super Classico. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the only one. Uh, I think we're going to see some from Cerro Porteño also. Brian Samudio has has had a, had a brace a couple of games ago, and I think he's going to play his first Super Classico also. And, you know, for those players, it is going to be a special one and you and it's going to be nice to see how they behave in, in a stage like that in a big game like this one uh, it's it's always good because those games are not for everyone Roberto no no they're not it doesn't matter what country you're in any kind of derby if you're up for the pressure you know you got to be up for it on the pitch so i completely agree and you know switching gears and there's a good segue that you made Beth, about some of those young players because obviously you wanted to mention about some of those young players that are starting to come up, obviously with this new U19 rule, obviously Paraguayan teams have the obligation to play these players after a certain amount of time, and you need to get some sort of minutes um, before the end of the Clausura season. So, you know, why don't you just dive deep into that and, and look at some of the players that, you know, maybe for some that are, you know, kind of the hipsters, maybe want to get some players to watch out for in future tournaments or want to get into Paraguayan football. What are some of the names that have that reached your your eye? Yeah, you know, we actually talked about this situation a couple of episodes ago. I believe that, that the teams were obligated to put under 19 players. And this is a situation that's going on in Paraguay because we have not been to the last World Cups and we need to promote players. We need new players to come out. And and also because the clubs don't work well with the young leagues, don't, don't work uh, well with the kids. So this is pretty much a way to make them look way more into the young players and, and have them ready for the big stage for the to play in the first team. 
And, and you can see it happening straight away that many of the clubs that are in the first and top division are not ready. They don't have players uh, pretty much on their squad. They, they did not get prepared for this. And this is the situation that I'm really worried about because this speaks very bad about our youth, our youth leagues and, and, and what they have under there, under there, you know, 12 de Octubre, Resistencia, Guaidenia, they pretty much had to loan players from other, other places. And you're just seeing it now in the fourth, fifth week, new names, uh, kids that are coming up, and they're just not ready for it. They're putting them in there uh, four or five minutes, uh, the last couple of minutes of the game. And it's, it's shameful to see it, you know, just because that's not that's not the spirit of the law. And, and yes, there are other players that I do think are coming about. I, I talked about uh, in Olympia, Bruno Ricardo, he's caught my eyes, just 18 years old. Uh, he's one of those players that is getting time. Fernando Ovelar also in Cerro Porteño. We mentioned him. He's only 18 years old, but hey, he, he's, he started his career several years ago, but he's only 18 and he's he's filling that spot in Cerro Porteño. In Nacional, in the first games, Francis, Francisco Morel caught everybody's attention, scoring a couple of goals back to back. And, you know, and, and in this last game, uh, Nacional against Cerro Porteño, Sergio Fretes had a huge game, actually. He's only 23 years old. This is a player that had already had his debut a couple of seasons ago, and he's kind of coming back with this with this coach, with Pedro Saravia now, and I was really surprised by his level. He, he really put it out there, and uh, Cerro Porteño's defense had trouble with him uh, particularly in this last game, I'm hoping I'm hoping for him to have a good season. Also, Carlos Espinola is coming back from an injury. He's also a, a vital player in Nacional. He's only 22 years old. Not just talking about the under 19 rule, but other players that have uh, come about in in these last couple of seasons, and that that you're waiting for these players to have a breakthrough season and and maybe even head out, maybe maybe even even leave the country. But it's really hard, Ralph, right now to find those under 19. Uh, players, those 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 gems that people talk about. Maybe Diego Gomez in Libertad. Libertad is a is a club that works really well in the, in the youth leagues. That's why they they even gave out so many players in loans to other clubs uh, because they just have so much. But it's really hard, Rob. Uh, teams are not work, working well in that sense. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Diego Gomez. You just mentioned at the end, he's the player that's I think impressed me most from that group because he walks into a midfield that's of a of the champions and, and he has to kind of impress and what i found with him is he's he's very interesting going forward so he's not so much a box-to-box midfielder he's actually got some some more like attacking intent to him and and we didn't see it at first but now i think he scored in the last two games uh, so he's starting to show some of that that quality he has going forward, which is quite interesting for, for to have like an attacking midfielder that plays down the middle um, rather than the wingers and things that we've also seen a few of. Um, but yeah, it's uh, Libertad, in a way, Libertad's success is to the detriment of the rest of the league because Libertad kind of scoop up all the best players because they have more resources. They're, they're the ones that are really doing the hard work and going out side of Asuncion and looking for players and bringing them in. We, we talked a lot about Julio Enciso. Julio Enciso is from the countryside in Paraguay. I mean, maybe apparently Guarani were out there looking for players around there too, but really no one's, no one's doing that work. It's usually the parents and the kids have to do the hard work of coming to the clubs and, and 
making the the effort and and kind of sacrificing a lot of things to try and be able to play whereas whereas Libertad make it easier for the those kids and that's why they have most of the the I guess the the talent and what we see again is there's always this because you have a lot of short-termism in Paraguay with the managers as well the managers are under pressure so Doce de Octubre or General Caballero, they, those coaches know they might only be in for six months or so, so they need to get results quickly. And so the, the pressure on them there, I think, makes makes them tend to go towards the veterans. Dose de Octubre is a, the, the biggest example, right? Because they've just got, their average age is 29, I think, it's almost 30 years old. And so that's partly produced by this short-termism that comes from even above the, the coaches, from the, the owners that are very quick to to change change coaches but let's see if this rule can can hopefully bring up an, a few players that we weren't expecting um i think olympia is very interesting as well the under 20s have just been called up for for the paraguay national team and they have a couple of players that we haven't even seen in the olympia first team squad that are in the paraguay under 20s so i think there's actually olympia particularly have a lot of quality and these i'm talking mostly strikers mostly forwards so that's very interesting. Um, and then some, maybe some good news to uh, just to contrast with what Fede was saying. The under-17s went to Uruguay. They got a win and a draw. They're coached by Aldo Bovadilla. And I think that's good news to see some of our, our Paraguay youth teams having regular games again, because it's all stopped, of course, because of the pandemic. But having some of these regular games as we build up to the Sudamericanos that come in 2023. So... Let's let's see if fingers crossed, at least if we're getting things right at the under 15s, under 17s level, by the time they're under 19s and ready to play in, in the senior leagues, they've got some a good foundation behind them. Well, we're mentioning all these players, Roberto, because we're looking at the future. You know, the, the, the we're gonna have very important friendly games for the national team this year, straight up ahead. I think we have a couple also here in August. I believe you guys are going to get the chance to see our national team up close. And apparently, Estelotto uh, is going to look at our domestic players. He's going to look at our, our local league. So I was looking and making this list, mainly thinking on that, thinking on the future, because you're not just, you don't only have to think about a team up for, to, to try to get results right now, but you have to look at the future. The next World Cup is four years ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's kind of vital into looking at how we can indeed promote these young players and see if they're up for the task to play on the national team to see what they can do. Uh, if they're successful at their clubs to perhaps go out and, and, and try it out at a different league. I think that's only the the most that we can expect from them. And so I think it'll be interesting to see what Baros Kelota does in these friendlies to see what kind of domestic players he calls up, what kind of idea and, and, and kind of plan that he has put for this national team because that's the only way to do it the only way is to get that experience to really look into this new generation and and to see what can be done in order to achieve the goals that they want to achieve so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there guys as we close off another great episode of Guarani Mission for myself Roberto Rojas, Fede Pere, and Rao Hanna thank you so much for listening in see you soon